World of Blazing brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture, always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now the man on fire, John Sublon. Welcome to another episode of True Faith, Real Talk. This is your host, the man on fire, John Sablon of johnsablon.com. I want to welcome all those who are returning or those who may be new to the show. And for those of you who may be new, uh, you may uh, come to know my tagline as truth spoken boldly. And really, that's just try. This is that's just the way that I try to live my life. Um, and most especially try to live my faith. And in doing that, when I speak with that fervor and that zeal and that fire, sometimes people can see that as over the top, fanatical, uh, you know, just uh, totally uh, tone deaf to people's emotions and um, their sensitive side of them. Although I'm a very sensitive guy myself. Um, and today's guest is somebody who is very familiar with probably that, that same um, labeling, if you will, and is no stranger to controversy uh, in, in the work that he does because he lives and breathes in the world of uh, the church and, and what's going on. So I want to just kind of dive right into this because uh, I'm excited to have him on the show. I want to welcome to the show Mr. Michael Voris. Hey, Michael. Hey, John. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for being here. And so just for the for the sake of, of my listeners, I just want to um, maybe you can give a little bit of background on who you are if they, for whatever reason, don't know who Michael Voris is. Just a little bit of background on, on, on your uh, on who you are um, before we get into kind of the apostate St. Michael's media and, and church militant, but just kind of the background on, on you, your education, kind of where you come from. I know you're a, you're a four-time Emmy winner um, with the work you used to do, but maybe just give my listeners and viewers a little bit of background on Michael Voris, the man. Sure. I'm uh, 57 years old. I was born in 1961 on an Air Force base in uh, uh, Big Springs, Texas. It was Webb Air Force Base. As I understand now, it is a maximum security prison. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the uh, Air Force, along with other military branches, sold off a lot of the property. Uh, and a lot of the states assumed that property. And I, if, if I heard correctly, or if I'm remembering correctly, the uh, what used to be the maternity ward is actually now death row. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I could say I, I came into the world on death row. <laughs> little, little funny weirdness there. Uh, but yeah, my dad was in the Air Force, uh, our family, so I'm an Air Force brat. We traveled around. I uh, spent the early years of my life, first seven years, was born in Texas, but then a couple months later we shuffled off to England and we went to a number of Air Force bases in England and France until I was seven, uh, we moved back to Texas uh, in 1968. Uh, but I came, uh, the family came on a cruise ship, uh, the SS United States, and my dad woke me up the morning we were sailing into New York Harbor and woke me up and was uh, very insistent that I, that I, be up on the deck so we could sail into New York Harbor and he could tell me about the Statue of Liberty mm. and we're sailing in. And he said, this is your country. And that's Lady Liberty. Now, he didn't make the distinction in his head that uh, I would have understood that that was actually a statue of Our Lady. <laughs> so I'm seven years old. He says, Lady, my little seven-year-old Catholic brain goes, oh, that's Our Lady. <laughs> I just thought that. So for, I don't know when I became uh, disabused of that notion, but I, for a long time, I thought that was Our Lady. 
<laughs> and uh, so anyway, we're in New York to get getting the international resettle or whatever that happens for a couple of weeks. Then we went off to Texas. I stayed in Texas until I started middle school, at which point we moved to uh, essentially Napa Valley in California mm-hmm. to uh, an Air Force base around there. Uh, I went to Catholic schools my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, after I graduated from high school in 79, I went to Notre Dame, go Irish, especially this coming weekend. I don't know when you're going to air this, but it is uh, uh, Thanksgiving Saturday. Notre Dame is four quarters away from an undefeated season. So uh, <laughs> playing for national national title. And as much as I hate the heresy at Notre Dame, I still have the... <laughs> still have the you know go irish thing going on yeah uh, yeah it's really it, it's it's hard sitting watching a game you're like just watch the game don't pay attention if they show a shot of john jenkins or something ignore that <laughs> <laughs> father jenkins um and then when i got to uh uh i went into notre dame studying accounting uh which was just my parents suggestion notre dame had a had, it still does at a top flight accounting program, you're practically guaranteed of a job if you got out with a Notre Dame degree in accounting. Mm-hmm. But I hated it. I was more interested in parties and football and everything else. So my my junior year, the end of my junior year, I was, uh, shall we say, invited out of the accounting program <laughs> and I, <laughs> in, in pretty direct terms. Uh, and I went to, uh, I, I got into communications, the communications program instead. And uh, uh, I got a um, internship at the NBC station in South Bend, WNDU, which was on campus at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, got an internship there. And I loved it. I loved the business. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I liked all the technology part of it. I liked all the uh, content part of it. I liked the camera stuff. I just liked it all fell in love with it Mm -hmm. and, uh, did really well in that. Anyway, so I got out, I got a job at CBS news in New York in 1983. I stayed there until 1984, uh, working largely on campaign stuff. That was the Reagan Mondale race Mm -hmm. of 1984. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I, I eventually got into, you know, on camera, uh, out in affiliate land in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Duluth, Minnesota, Albany, New York. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then eventually made my way here to Detroit. I got a job offer and everybody will know I'm not that great of a fan of the cold weather. As a matter of fact, I hate the cold weather. And, you know, it's horrible cold weather here in Michigan. It's freezing out there now. We had snow on the ground like two weeks ago. Yeah. I'm like this is awful. Are you kidding me? It's snowing. It's like the third of November, and uh, everybody goes, oh, "Oh, Michigan's so nice because you have the four seasons." I'm like, "Yeah, you have four seasons, but the lousy one lasts seven months." So, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. So we did. I I, I had a job here. Uh, I took the job here actually in Detroit. It wasn't. It was it was an okay job offer. That part was fine, but I took the job off here because it was close to Notre Dame. Nah. <laughs> I could go back from football games. So I was twenty nine and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so anyway, I've been here. Uh, I've been here for twenty eight years now. I spent. Uh, I stayed in news until nineteen ninety nine. So for about nine years. And then I transitioned over to, uh, I started my own company, my own video production company 
and started producing commercials for General Motors. Wow. And I did that from 2000, 1999, 2000, that time frame, until about 2007. In the interim, I had come back to the faith in 2004. And in two, late 2005, as a matter of fact, almost this exact time of the year in 2005, 13 years ago, uh, I the idea for St. Michael's Media kind of came into my head and make a show and, you know, help people learn the faith and that sort of thing. And that's kind of how it all began. And obviously we've been doing that for 13 years now. And uh, 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 our Lord, our Lady, St. Michael have been very good, many, many graces on what we've done here. They haven't made it easy, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's... Uh, uh, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> it has been quite the journey. And uh, yeah, they've been. Uh, and so that's obviously what we're doing now. And that's why you're talking to me. <laughs> yeah. So let's and I appreciate the, the, the background as well and the journey. But let's let's kind of touch on the coming back to the faith piece. Right. Because sure. you hear it all too uh, often that people who have gone to Catholic school all of their life and, you know, raised in the faith. Um, I myself was a cradle Catholic in the sense I was born into the faith 27 days after I was born. Um, I'm from the island of Guam, so it's a very Catholic island, or was a very Catholic island at one point, not so much today, and uh, but wasn't really raised in the faith. Um, you know, I stopped catechesis at basically second grade when I left parochial school and experienced, you know, uh, was raised by an alcohol, alcoholic father and had abuse, all forms of abuse by age 11, so you can imagine the wayward life that I ended down so let's I want to because I think that's a part of the one of the things I was so uh, excited about about this interview was you know people see Michael Voris church militant Michael Voris like the, the front the guy that's at the front leading the charge um, when it comes to really pointing out the truth speaking the truth of people will say they'll argue about whether or not it's the truth or not and we're not going to necessarily get into all of that they'll argue as we were talking about before the interview started about you know, it's just not, um, you know, his tactic, the way he speaks, they'll, they'll lead with that and point to that versus, so the method of the message rather than the message um, yeah. that you're bringing. But I don't want to go there yet because I know you've, you've done a ton of interviews. Um, I want to know about the journey first and foremost, because sure. in my own faith walk, I mean, trust me, I've, I um, have started my own uh, non, <laughs> nonprofit apostolate to help with evangelization and faith formation. Um, I do public speaking, so I speak to all different demographics. And especially when I'm doing any events locally and people see me and they know the John Sablon that was in high school, they're like, yeah. what are you doing preaching about, about Jesus? Who right, are you right. telling me about the Catholic faith? Um, and rightfully so, because I, I haven't always been practicing the faith. And so I wanted to, to spend some time uh, in this interview talking to you about that journey. What did it in, or what... What led you astray and then brought you back? I would say the uh, I'd have to go back to some childhood stuff here. My my uh, well, I mean, both of my parents are uh, now dead. My father died earlier this year in January, about a year ago. Uh, so I, I guess I would say my my mother had. I guess would would probably have been diagnosed as something of a mild case of bipolar depression mm. mixed with 
uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. And all of that was relatively manageable, I think, for her while she was a teenage girl. And I know that it was present then because when we went back to visit uh, her family uh, in England, uh, when I was uh, in high school, of course, her sisters couldn't wait to tell me about how my mother was when she was a teenager and all that kind of stuff. So just stuff that happens in families. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they were pointing to all that stuff. Uh, what I did not know until my mother died 14 years ago, coming up on 15 years ago, uh, 14 years ago, uh, that my father told me that the night after we buried her, uh, was that when she and he came over here from England, uh, the first time, uh, when she was 20, she was 20 and, uh, my dad was decommissioning out of the air force. Uh, he had gone away. He'd come back to his hometown in Ohio. He had gone away to do whatever he had to do for the week or whatever, however you get out of the air force mm -hmm. back in the 1950s. Um, and my mom was essentially left alone with my father's parents. Uh, well, his father raped my mother oh. and I didn't know any of this. Again, the whole time my mother was alive, I knew nothing of it. Mm -hmm. And my father told me in that conversation, he was telling me all that stuff, just how that had taken my mom to a, uh, from just, you know, kind of a manageable little bit of emotional struggle here and there stuff to completely off the charts for the whole rest of her life. Right. And, um, I mean, you said you grew up with an alcoholic father, then you can sort, you can relate to the environment, mm -hmm. not the cause of it, but the environment, it becomes very, <clears throat> it's very unstable. You, emotionally, it's just unstable from one moment to the next. It's like a light switching off and on and everything. And when I was a kid, um, when I was a kid kind of growing up in that, my mom would just fly off the handle for, I, I mean, nothing. You, you would l literally drop a pen on the floor mm. one day, no problem. You drop a pen on the floor an hour later and it was like World War Three, mm -hmm. and, you know, just the, 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 the stuff inside her mind and everything. So, you know, growing up with a emotionally, uh, you know, a parent that has a mental illness mm -hmm. is extremely uh, tough to deal with. Mm -hmm. And my dad, one of the reasons my dad was telling me all this the night or the evening that we buried my mother was, uh, he said, he said to me, they used to, my mom, and dad used to call me pet Irish term of endearment. He <laughs> said, pet you, uh, he said, you know, your mother had told me a number of times cause she died of cancer and it was almost three years of cancer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oftentimes when I wasn't there, they were talking about, you know, after she was gone, after she had died, my, the relationship between my dad and me. So my dad brought it up right there that evening. And he said, you know, you and I, meaning my father and I, uh, you know, haven't had as good of a relationship as we had, because I have to tell you, I just didn't know how to handle your mother in many occasions. And they stayed married for 51 years wow. and, uh, you know, were faithful and all of that. But my mom was a, my, there was the aspect of that marriage that was a very big cross for my father. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and of course my mom had her cross of the, you know, emotional suffering. Um, 
but as my brother and I were growing up in that environment, it was it, it was very tough. And I think my dad was my I think my dad was really at cross purposes. He didn't know how to kind of balance, you know, uh, you, you know, my mom's driving, uh, you know, um, uh, sort of sucking all the energy out of the room yeah. uh, presence to how do I handle this with the kids, with two boys, my brother and I, my brother was seven years older than me. Mm. And, and that's it. They're just the two boys. And, uh, and I don't think my dad felt like he did a very good job of balancing. And I think because, you know, this is his wife, these are his two sons. And he's kind of, he felt quite frequently sort of caught in the middle of all of that. And, uh, so when, uh, that night that we had buried my mother, he sort of had a, a big sort of come to confession moment hmm. and said all of this and it told me about what had happened to my mom at the hands of his own father. Yeah. So, uh, and it was, when I say a sexual assault, I don't mean he just kind of grabbed, I mean, he, when I use the word rape, I mean the word rape mm. and the, my brother actually as an infant was in a little bassinet about five feet away. Wow. So, uh, you know, anyway, a horrible set of circumstances. They're, they're all freed from it now, but what, I, and the reason I gave all that kind of intense background was to say that the atmosphere in which I and my brother grew up in was a, uh, was a very difficult, difficult time to navigate. And, uh, I didn't really discuss an awful lot of this with my brother. Again, he was seven years older than me. By the time I found a vocabulary to kind of talk about all this, he was already off to Notre Dame. He went to Notre Dame too. Uh, you know, I was 11, he was 18, he was off at school and I'm just kind of there. Uh, and we never really talked about it in adulthood that much either. Uh, we were just, we just kind of knew that we had this kind of shared experience and that was kind of enough uh, we, I don't think either one of us really wanted to spend a lot of time talking about it and how we felt. So in the middle of all of that, I got the idea in my head, I don't know, warranted or not, whatever the case is as a, as a young lad, mm -hmm. uh, I got the idea in my head that my parents didn't really love me. Mm -hmm. They were, uh, good on this is my view as a child mm -hmm. they were good on fulfilling sort of the basic level of responsibilities mm -hmm. you know we never starved and you know we they always paid for catholic education for us so we always had food on the table roof over our head the house was warm clothes on our back all that stuff mm -hmm. all the material stuff was taken care basic of basic needs were met yeah yeah exactly but beyond that it, there were all kinds of doubts and everything else so uh, there, you, I think you have to be very, very careful as a parent uh, to, you know, make sure that there isn't a doubt in your kids' minds that you don't love them. Because mm -hmm. what that did in my case, uh, in my case, is... I felt unworthy of love. I mean, if your parents don't love it, if you think your parents don't love you and you internalize all that, that there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that turns into a, 
it, it turns into a potential nightmare scenario that almost anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's one scene that really sticks in my head involving my dad. And I think this was, I think this was partially, partially responsible for how I started acting out on all this sexually when I got to an age. But in eighth grade, I was going to be singing in the, um, I was going to be singing in the, uh, uh, Christmas pageant mm. and everyone here on staff will tell you that I don't have a good voice now. <laughs> but, you know, as a matter of fact, it's a big, it's a big joke now, but, uh, but in third grade I had a really nice voice and sister Bernadette had picked me, uh, my third grade teacher, beautiful nun, uh, boy, a dedicated bulldog, but mm. a dedicated woman. Mm-hmm. She was going to make sure that any kids in her charge were going to get to heaven. Mm. And, uh, but my dad was very, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, so she picked me to sing the uh, Oh Holy Night at solo at the Christmas pageant. Wow. And I was practicing in school for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And then the night came for it, or the evening, had come home from school, and everybody was come back. And my mother's depression had gotten so bad at this point, this is when we were living in Texas, in Wichita Falls, uh, uh, that there were days on end she just wouldn't get out of the bed mm-hmm. or I, I should better better to say she couldn't get out of the bed mm-hmm. and she would just lay in the bed and so you know again I'm eight so I go running into the you know the room mommy mommy so you need to go to the Christmas pageant I get to sing blah, blah, blah. and uh, she just says we're not going and I'm like what what do you mean we're not going she goes we're not going so I ran into the kitchen where my dad was doing whatever he was doing. And I said, daddy, daddy, mommy says we can't go to the kitchen. And he comes into the bedroom with her and he's standing there. And I remember this, like, like I'm watching a movie mm. and I'm standing there beside him, little eight year old boy. And there's my dad. And, uh, and I'm like, mommy, mommy, we can't go to the, movie. and my mother sort of leans up in the bed a bit and says to my dad, I said, we're not going. And not that, you two can go. We aren't going. Mm. And, uh, and I pulled on my dad's pant leg and said, daddy, though, I've been, I've been practicing. I, you know, and he looked down at me and he said, uh, you have to understand your mother. And I don't know if something that that memory is so vivid to me. I think I kind of process that somehow Mm -hmm. as, my mom doesn't love me and my dad isn't willing to defend me. Mm-hmm. Now, I certainly didn't have that conscious thought, but I think emotionally that's how it processed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it really did, it really, it's really screwed with me that, that thought, not that particular memory, but everything that that memory sort of began engendering in me really, really screwed around with me. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think it set me up for this, this, uh, you know, you want to, you know, what does everybody want? Everybody wants to be accepted and loved. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you don't have that on the basic level you're supposed to have, uh, then it, I think it's a natural reaction to try to go looking for it somewhere else. I mean, they even write songs about it, looking for love in all the wrong places. That's right. That's right. Uh, and in my particular case that wandered into, uh, you know, a pretty sexually promiscuous uh, pursuit, uh, not exclusively with men, but 
largely with men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, and it was, uh, yeah, it was a really, it was a horrible thing. I think somewhere in there, I was trying to, somewhere in there, I was trying to, you know, compensate for or repair or I don't know. We're so, we're also, you know, uh, what's the word? So, complex and everything in our own inner workings we can't even understand ourselves but you can kind of understand some things about yourself and i really think that's what was kind of happening um uh that was happening there and of course you know when you when you get to a certain age there's this danger once you hit puberty that any of these emotional things become sexualized Mm -hmm. and at that point, you know, you can simply come off the rails and I'd come off the rails. I mean, no, absolutely no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. I had, I had come off the rails. I don't know if I was looking for somebody to, you know, for somebody to sort of step up and be the male figure that I sensed my dad wasn't being, or I, I don't know exactly, but there was some kind of thing going on like that. And that's why when like the, James Martins of the world and the Thomas Rosicas of the world. And they all go on about this being a gift and all this stuff and everything. I'm sorry. I'm not going to shut up about that. They're lying through their teeth mm-hmm. uh, and they are deceiving and tricking people. And I know exactly what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it, it is a, you know, look, many paths you can take all, all paths you can take away from that you that lead you away from god mm-hmm. are horrible dark and sinister even if there is a moment here or there of you fooling yourself thinking it's good like you know that very first high you get from your first drug use or mm-hmm. you know the thrill of i don't know a sexual chase or something like that but it all fizzles out very quickly and you're left deeper in the hole than when you began mm-hmm. and for these guys to, for these guys to try to portray all of this as something good, and oh, we just have to, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, my, my background tells me you're lying through your teeth, and I'm going to say so. Well, and I think so. too, too, Michael, I think you have wounds to prove it. You know, I think that's the part of, uh, again, going back to similar uh, experiences as a child, definitely went through abuse and sexual abuse as well. And so you think about how upside down everything just became. I mean, you think about innocence, purity shattered, your view of God shattered, your view of other shattered, uh, those who are supposed to be the ones to love, protect you, gone, non-existent, even though they're physically present, they're not there emotionally, mentally, or spiritually for that matter. And that's the part where, again, going back to the reason why I wanted to have this discussion is I think um, there's that, uh, whether inside or outside of the church, there's that group of folks out there who try to portray the things that we know are counterfeit love as love that, you know, you're trying to fill that God size hole in your heart. And I think uh, with the world size cup, if you will, um, of everything you can get your hands on to try to, to numb the pain, to fill the void. And ultimately, like you said, you're in a larger deficit with more wounds, not just to yourself, but to a whole slew of folks that are in your sure. circle, of, uh, you know, and think about the souls at stake. Um, so, so I can def, I can definitely empathize and sympathize, um, with that journey and that struggle, um, because I've, I've, I've been there, done that in a, in a similar way and, and other ways, not so much, but, um, even the comment you made about, uh, parents, when you first started down this path, and I appreciate your vulnerability and your openness to this dialogue, but even with parents, right? The fact that you said, 
do everything you can to not leave any doubt in that child or children's minds about being loved. Um, because I think we often as parents, and I mean this both obviously biologically, if you're a foster parent, step parent, a spiritual parent, because we're all spiritual parents to somebody, right? But we, we don't realize how we actually image God and the love of God toward to others. Um, yeah. And so by, by that broken human relationship, automatically affects our ability to have a relationship with God. Um, Absolutely does. Yeah. Because I, mean, it's, it's, I, I would add on to that, especially in the case of a young man. Mm-hmm. I, I would add on that, you know, you are, where do you learn to be a man from, if not your father? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we pray the our father mm-hmm. and God is a father. Mm-hmm. And if you go to mass, you hear the word father probably more than you hear. You certainly hear the word father more than you hear the name Jesus mm-hmm. uh, because the mass is directed to the father. And, uh, you know, if something becomes distorted in your mind, uh, again, not necessarily your fault, just you know, it just winds up that way because of circumstances, especially as a child, mm-hmm. that father isn't what father is supposed to be, then it affects your whole ability to be able to kind of relate to father. You were you were talking about the importance really of, of fathers, right? The, the fatherhood yeah. piece of this. As it relates to you, I absolutely 100% agree because that's what affected me. Uh, a big part of my life was... Um, even though my, f- my father was physically present, um, the type of father he was really affected and impacted me and affected the man that I be- that I was, uh, or at least acting out as, and it manifested itself in so much ugly behavior. Um, and, and, but you were talking about how our faith, right? So when you think about um, going back to that conviction, going back to the passion that we have for our Lord and for Holy Mother Church, the fact that you said, yeah, our church gives us a remedy, gives us a way to cope, Still some scars there, but it doesn't hurt as much anymore, right? We right. acknowledge that they're there. Um, but what did, so, uh, you know, we're, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about this whole topic, <laughs> it's, but I want to be respectful as we're, you know, recording this the day before Thanksgiving. Um, sure. So I'm very, very grateful for your time and I want to be mindful of that. But so what did it, so you're, you're kind of talking about that piece. We know that there was, uh, obviously this affected you. Um, sure. And then, so maybe take us now to that, well, what? What launched you back into Holy Mother Church, into the Catholic faith? Well, I'd have to say that really it was uh, it was really my mom uh, who, um, you know, I'd gotten off into, like I said, you know, you know, earlier, not exclusively, but largely uh, a whole gay thing, mm-hmm. uh, a gay lifestyle. And of course, my mom and dad were not as they shouldn't be. We're not down with that at all. Um uh, they didn't like cut me off and, you know, say you're dead to us or anything like that. But they made very certain <laughs> that there was not a doubt in my mind that they thought it was OK. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my mom would uh, be, uh, I guess, probably the more uh, I don't, aggressive isn't the right word, but one, the one who would be more direct and more kind of continual about it. Mm. So, you know, she'd send me, I, I don't know, little, uh, all kinds of little Catholic things in the mail, uh, a finger rosary, a pamphlet, a little book a something or other she'd leave. Uh, and that was like every other day. 
uh, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Oh wow! Um, she was truly relentless. God bless her for it too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she was truly relentless about it um, to the point of really aggravating the living daylights out of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, and she'd leave a message back in the days when we used to have answering machines with the little cassettes. <laughs> um, I'd come in and my cassette would be full because she'd just leave a 30 minute message mm-hmm. and. Not all of it, but most of it, most of the time was about, you know, now make sure that, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you are you know living a good life and you get to confession and blah, 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 and all that sort of just Catholic stuff over and over and over again. And she told me after she got cancer, she died in 2004. She got cancer in October of 2001. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said to me, um, uh, after she had cancer about a year and a half or two years after she had cancer that she, uh, in the midst of praying for me the whole time, uh, had just kind of lost her patience with our Lord. And one day said, uh, Jesus, I don't care what you have to do to me, do whatever you have to do, but spare the eternal lives of my two sons, mm-hmm. my brother, not in the gay thing, but in his own, uh, that's his thing. So I won't go into it. But anyway, he and I had both gone off on our own worlds uh, away from the church. Interestingly, neither one of us ever intellectually rejected the church, mm-hmm. not even close. I didn't I didn't walk around and say, oh, the church is wrong, or the church has to change its teachings, or I'm going to go join another church because this church is stupid. I just whistled past the graveyard. <laughs> I knew good and well that the Catholic Church was the church established by Jesus Christ, that it was it that taught all truth. I just ignored it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't try to exchange uh, nothing. I'm like, I know what the truth is here, and that's it. I'm just going to la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> And I did. I was really good at that, too. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so uh, my mom made that prayer, and about two weeks later, she got cancer, or, or they discovered cancer. Uh, and they said that they had got it. They had discovered in its very early stages, it was in her stomach uh, up by her duodenum, and uh, uh, they had uh, discovered in its early stages, they did surgery, everything's great, we got it all, and six months later it was back and she was in stage four. Um, So so she told me that and, uh, and said, so, you know, I have what I have here because uh, you know, I asked Jesus for a cross to save you and Marshall, my brother, Marshall. And I was like, okay, that's, um, okay. My mom has cancer because of me. That's not good. Mm. And, uh, so a few months after that, I was working out in Denver doing some work for General Motors and my uh, out on a shoot out there producing a commercial for Hummer, actually. And my uh, sister-in-law, my brother's wife, called me and said that my brother had just died of a heart attack at 48. And if you saw Marshall, Marshall was fit. Uh, he'd missed being on the Olympic swimming team as a teenager by like that much. Wow. Um, uh, you know, he looked 20 years younger than what he was. He's super fit. He went out sailing and swimming every day. Uh, and, uh, he lived in Corpus Christi. They moved to Corpus Christi so he could do that. He used to dive into the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico every day and swim out to this boy, tag it and come back. Unless there was a hurricane, he was in the water. Wow. And, uh, yeah. 
he used to terrorize me as a kid in the water and like <laughs> jump on me and dunk me all the time and everything else. Um, but, uh, uh, he was, uh, yes, yeah, so I went, my parents obviously couldn't travel because of my mom's health to, you know, to my brother's funeral in Texas, they had moved to Detroit mm. to be with me. Uh, and so I go down to Texas and I'm in the funeral home looking at my brother's body. Uh, and I called my mom on the cell phone and said, Hey mom, I'm, I'm standing here over Marshall right now. And I was running my hands through his hair and big head of blonde hair. And I was running my hands through his hair. And I said, uh, is there anything you want me to say or do? And she said, uh, well, yes, pet, give him a kiss for me and tell me that and tell him that I'll see him very soon. And that was a, uh, that was a ripping moment. It was kind of that moment mm -hmm. that everything came flooding back in that, you know, I was like, wow, everything I always knew was true is true mm -hmm. and there's death and this life comes to an end and oh my gosh your whole world gets torn apart and yeah it was um yeah it was tough to hear mm -hmm. and that was that was 10 months before my mom died uh that was uh august uh, early august of 2000 uh, three. And my mom died the following June, June 15th, 2004. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that sort of, so I didn't have like a, a road to Damascus moment where from like one lightning bolt to the next, I was horrible. And then I was great for me it, like St. Paul. It was this much longer thing of like 10 months. So now when I came back to Detroit after my brother's funeral, uh, now I'm talking and visiting and going over with my parents, all of this stuff from childhood and that eighth grade, uh, eight year old couldn't go sing in the, all that stuff mm -hmm. started coming out and being talked about and everything else. And, you know, my mom, you know, to her, you know, to her great credit said, uh, you know, we could never name the thing that my mom had. We could never say out loud, mom, you got a mental illness. You could never say that. And believe me, her OCD coupled with her bipolar depression was to live in that as a kid was hellish at times. And, uh, the last scene I remember of my brother at home to just sort of underscore the point he was going off to Notre Dame. My dad was waiting out in the car to drive him to the airport. My mom didn't want to go to the airport because of being all emotional and having her son, eldest son leave and go off to college and all that. Uh, so uh, she was staying at home and I was staying at home. My dad was driving him to the airport in San Francisco. And, uh, and my brother did, he dropped something on the floor as he was just getting ready to leave. He was putting his shoes and socks on sitting in the chair. He dropped something on the floor. My mom just went off and had an episode and he went nuts. My brother, mm. this is the last thing I remember seeing my brother at home. He never went back to the house ever again. Mm. He was 18 and, uh, and he was, uh, I'm getting out of this effing crazy hole. And off he went. And it, it was that kind of, it wasn't like that all the time, mm -hmm. but the problem was that it could become that in an instant. Yeah. 
and it might be over in five seconds. It could be over in two days. Mm -hmm. You just never knew. Mm -hmm. And it was that constant instability and it was always kind of directed at you. It was directed at my dad a lot also, but it it was directed at, you know, you and you never knew if you were going to get it or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that really... So all of this got talked about and all of it came out and everything. And, you know, and so I said to my mom, my dad said this to me, my dad said this to me after her funeral. Uh, he said, you know, no one could ever have asked her that question, uh, uh, like you did and her just calmly respond. But about two months before she died, I said, you know, when we're having all of these conversations, in the context of the faith mm-hmm. of dying and going to heaven and everything else. I mean, that's the context these, all these conversations are having because they're talking about my mortal sins, uh, my life, uh, the, all of it. I mean, it's, <laughs> if there's one thing that being a faithful Catholic does is it forces directness. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't get to skate around issues and, you know, pr- you know, talk about, not talk about the elephant in the room and everything else. Uh, and just another reason I can't stand all this crap with the bishops and they won't talk about the real thing. And it's just, it's, it's disingenuous. It's damaging. It keeps people in their psychological pain and everything, sometimes physical pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom had said, uh, it, we were talking and I said, you know, mom, I said, you know, you have a mental illness, don't you? And she just looked up at me for the first time in my entire life and my dad's marriage uh, said, yes, pet, I know. Wow. That was a monumental admission for her to make because she'd spent years denying it before mm. years and decades denying it before. And, uh, you know, we'd say, Hey mom, I'd say, mom, I go over to my friend's house and, you know, their mom lets me do X, Y, or Z or whatever, which was normal, like sit on the floor or whatever. Of course, my mom was like, well, that's because they're dirty and they don't clean things and whatever. I mean, it, it, there was always something wrong with somebody else. Right. Uh, so my mom, you had to do that. If you got a mental illness, you have to, and you're trying to convince yourself that you're correct, well, then everybody else has to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's just how it was. And, uh, but in the middle of all this, my mom said to me in, the, in this sort of 10 month period between my brother's death and her death, uh, she said, uh, uh, you know, pet, I don't want to go to heaven knowing you're in hell. And I was like, you know, you just, you can't hear things like that from your dying parents and or in this case, dying mom and, you know, not have it, you know, penetrate to your core right. and you get to say things like that. If you are Catholic because you're talking about the ultimate realities of things and you have to talk about the ultimate realities. I mean, everybody knows I'm an enormous Notre Dame football fan Mm -hmm. and I use the analogies all the time. You know, I don't really care if Notre Dame goes out and throws for more yards than the other team or has like spectacular plays or, you know, uh, you know, whatever, I don't know, you know, has, uh, you know, racks up more rushing yards per, you know, in the first three quarters than the other team. If you lose the game, all those stats don't matter. Right. It's all for naught. It's all for naught. I mean, the point of the point of being out there doing all those things is to get more points on the board when the final gun goes off. And it just, you know, too many people in the church today, mostly clergy, but certainly lay Catholics, they just don't talk in those terms. 
You know, it's just a, it, they just don't talk in terms of the ultimate victory mm-hmm. or loss. And, you know, you know, for all of my parents' shortcomings, and I had many as a son, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but as for all my parents' shortcomings, as they would freely admit uh, when they were alive, uh, they did instill the faith in me. That was the, and ultimately, look, a good friend of mine once said, uh, you know, you can experience all the success you want in this life. You can become president of the United States, you can be a multi-zillionaire, you could die the richest man on earth. If you go to hell, your life was a failure. Mm -hmm. And likewise, if you do nothing and, you know, you you struggle through life and this and whatever, and you never amount to anything, da, 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 and all that, you know, or, you know, you sort of let life beat you down kind of thing but you remain faithful and you go to heaven, then your life was a success. Mm-hmm. And that and that's really true. And that's really true. And so on that score, what my, my parents' parenting was a success. Mm-hmm. Even with all the stuff, the mental illness, all everything, my, all the stuff, you know, God in his great mercy will give people time to work those things out. He'll give you the opportunity. He will give you the graces if you cooperate with them to get through this stuff, to put it in frame, to put it in context, to live. It doesn't take it away, but uh, I mean, it doesn't take the past away is what I mean. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make all that stuff not have happened, but it makes it now bearable and understandable and uh, put you in a position where you can now rise above it and you can live a different way uh, with a self-realization that, look, as St. Peter said to our Lord, who could be saved? And he said, well, on your own, none of you can. Mm. You know, With you, it's impossible. Ah, but for me, <laughs> all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality. And, you know, it, it, there, I don't know that there's another religion on the face of the earth. Again, I'm speaking really natural levels now, mm-hmm. as opposed to supernatural. And there's another religion on the face of the earth that says that, mm-hmm. uh, that just says it that plainly, that, you know, it doesn't matter how damaged, hurt, wounded, uh, and it doesn't matter how much all of that may have led to whatever horrible, monstrous sins uh, that have been committed. Uh, we're going to deal with this realistically. That's your past, but your past is not your future. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then gives you the mean. It not just says that, but then gives you the means to actually be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah, do I get angry at the? You know, I just kind of use him as sort of the big poster boy of it and all the people behind him, but the James Martins of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this isn't what they preach. They keep people in their pain. Mm-hmm. They keep people, and they, they they ratify all of this stuff. And not just the gay stuff, but all these other clergy members who, you know, might have nothing to do with gay, but they're like, you know, they just kind of ignore confession or, you know, or ignore telling people they should go to confession. Oh, come on up in your civilly divorced and remarried way and be accepted. And, you know, you're not giving people an opportunity to secure themselves spiritually mm-hmm. so they'll mm-hmm. never if they can't secure themselves in the supernatural they'll never be able to secure themselves in the natural mm-hmm. and you know life is not free from pain but it is but the pain is 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 able to be coped with 
And that's what they ultimately deny people. And that's why they betray the faith. They betray Christ. Christ came to tell us something completely different than what these men preach. They say, stay in your pain, feel good, accept it, embrace it, blah, 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 blah. Christ says, no, this is not what you were intended for. The pain has happened. It's a fallen world. Things are bad. uh, But, you know, (laughs) we have a God who can raise you from the dead. Right. But that's not what they preach. They just want you to kind of stay in the tomb and accept the tomb and it's everybody else's fault and, norm- and whatever. Nor- normalize the tomb, normalize it and say it's not really pain, it's pleasure. So, yeah. But here's, here's the other thing I want, I, want to, yeah, I want to add to what you're saying because it's not just that our faith um, just gives us the means of which we can cope and deal with these, but, but God using that to lead others back to him. Absolutely. You know, so, so you think about, Absolutely. you know, um, I think about our the obligation we have as confirmed Catholics to spread and defend the faith, right, by word and deed, by how more perfectly bound we are to Holy Mother Church as a confirmed Catholic, um, to that, like it or not, there is no middle ground in this spiritual warfare, that you're either bringing somebody closer to God and to the church or away. You're either making somebody better or worse. And, you know, hence the whole concept and and the scripture on lukewarm. I wish you were either hot or cold. And so I think in all of this, you know, that the old cliche or the old adage, right? God writes straight with crooked lines. And, and that's a beautiful thing to where uh, individuals like yourself, like myself, who have a checkered past, who, who but now are on fire, right? And will never, ever be convinced, ever be convinced that there's another God, another church that will lead us to ultimately what we all desire, in the depths of us, how we were made in his image and likeness. Right. You'll never convince us otherwise. And by oh. the way, we are the ones, if you will, that that are so devout that we're going to weather the storm of this craziness we're dealing with in the church. Yeah, we're we're going to fight against we're it. We're going to fight against it. We're going to lift fight up. Against it. Yep. We're, and we're going to we're going to lead people to the truth. That's in, in the end game. It's like who, who ultimately we know is, is, is Christ himself. But sure. But we're saying, look. The, the ones that you're trying to cater to this thing that frustrates me with some of this, this, you know, the things that you're bringing up is that the people that you're actually catering to are the ones who don't even necessarily believe or uphold any of the church's teachings. You're yeah. catering to the ones that are actually making the things more difficult for us. And then the ones that are faithful, faithful, that are orthodox, you're saying, well, you're the problem. Yeah. You're the problem. It's true. Um, it's true. You're, you know, you are. But give us more money. This isn't a question of going after going after the lost sheep, which is kind of how, again, the Martins of the world try to portray it. Oh, we're trying to build a bridge. We're trying to, uh, you know, establish relations, talk more nicely with blah, 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 blah. They it isn't a question of them being lost sheep. Mm-hmm. The lost sheep are the ones who will give the teachings of the church an ear if you give them a reason to. Mm-hmm. There are enemies of the church, and those enemies of the church, I mean, you know, God speaks of them on the very first page of, of the, God, of the, of the uh, scriptures of Genesis. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking to the serpent, he says, your offspring well, Satan can't have children. He doesn't have a body, but he has spiritual children who are enemies of Christ. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, and that's any human being who's in a state of mortal sin who embraces the mortal sin as normal. I don't care if it's gay. I don't care if it's cohabitation. I don't care if it's sexual morality. I don't care if you're a mafia hitman. If you rob banks for a living, whatever it is, you have embraced a life opposed to the teachings of Christ. That makes you an enemy of Christ. I'm not saying just everybody who sins. Some people, there's a difference. There's a distinction here. The Catholic mind makes distinctions, mm -hmm. and a distinction must be made. It, within the world of sinners, because with the exception of our Lord and Our Lady, we're all sinners. Mm -hmm. So we're not all the same. Uh, St. Augustine is not the same as Judas, mm -hmm. yet they all sinned. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, all the apostles sinned, but there's a distinction between Judas and the other 11. Mm -hmm. Then he's replaced with 12. Uh, and the distinction within the world of sinners is those who embrace the sin and love their evil versus those who do evil things, commit evil sins, and then have remorse, regret, contrition, and everything else for them and get up and try again, and probably fall again, and then get up and do it again. These are the people who just kind of keep mulling and grinding through. Some of these people can be, lots of these people can become discouraged. Those are your lost sheep. Yep. Those are the folks that you have to go out and reach. Those are the people who, when they hear something scandalous, shakes their faith uh, or, you know, undermines their, oh, I don't know. Those are the people you need to talk to as the shepherds. But you're spending all your time chasing after the enemies of Christ, trying to do what? Try, trying to get them to do what? Why don't you shore up the church? Why don't you bring in the lost sheep? Why don't you comfort the sick and care for the afflicted spiritually, mm -hmm. sometimes physically? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, restore the church to its former glory. And in this glorious vision, this glorious presentation of the truth that even the enemies of Christ are hardwired for, because we're all hardwired for the truth, that some of those enemies of Christ, like Paul, will look at this. Because well, what moved him? Beholding the glory of Christ is what moved him. Mm -hmm. And the church is Christ on earth now, as he himself said right there on the road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. He said it right there himself, his very words, you're persecuting me. So when you behold the glory of Christ, some people, even enemies of Christ, will be converted to it. Mm -hmm. But these people are not the lost sheep. George Soros is not the lost sheep who wants to sit down and have a dialogue with you. Mm -hmm. He wants to kill you. Mm -hmm. Muslims who go around chopping your heads off and stuff like they did in the whole 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth centuries, they don't want to sit in dialogue with you. I'm not talking about all Muslims. I'm talking about the ones who are like fanatical and will kill people to if they won't convert. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, who cares if it's 1% or 2% when you're dealing with a billion people? That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They're not lost sheep. They're enemies of the church. They're enemies of Christ. Obviously, you pray for them. You offer sacrifice for them. We even pray for them at Good Friday. You pray. You do whatever you do. But they're not people you sit and try to conform yourselves to or roll out a red carpet to. Mm -hmm. There is another crowd over here. and These are the hurting sheep who have wandered away, who know the truth and merely need you to go get them and bring them back to it. Mm -hmm. And this is the crowd that the bishops... And Pope Francis and all of them are completely ignoring. And they are commanded to go out and take care of these people, but they're pointing at the wrong people they're supposed to be taking care of. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, you know, and it's Matt. And, and I really think, you know, that uh, not just us, but I think efforts of like church militant and other people, other apostolates, that those lost sheep are responding to that. Mm-hmm. That they're not hearing my voice or our voice as much as they're hearing the voice of the church through what we're saying. And I can tell you, I mean, I, I get the emails. I the people come up to me after I get done at a talk somewhere and say, I just want to let you know I've been following church militant for six months, two years, whatever, and I came back to the faith. Mm-hmm. Why? Not because, you know, you know, we're the end all be all of evangelization. But because what we say is the truth, we say the truth of Holy Mother Church and not to win brownie points, not to get bigger donations, not to do anything, but because it's the truth that I heard from my mom and my dad that uh, brought me back. And I'm like, well, there must be other people who if they hear the truth, no matter how hard it is, and it's hard to hear, Mm -hmm. uh, will respond to it in kind. Mm-hmm. So tell them the truth. Uh, and, you know, and I really believe that that's what uh, I really believe that God, our Lord, our lady, uh, uh, even through the sort of oversight, I suppose, of St. Michael, if you want to call it that, uh, have uh, have have blessed us specifically for that. Mm-hmm. We say here every single day, multiple times, use us to save souls. Mm-hmm. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. Now, how does that play out? You know, do we need, I don't know, donations, bigger cameras, more studio space, you know, more ability to go out and give conferences and whatever? Well, yeah, I mean, it has to play out somehow in the practical reality of the world. But that overarching uh, theme, uh, use us to save souls. That's what it is. And all the rest of this is just kind of details. The details are annoying most of the time, <laughs> I got to say. Mm-hmm. Cameras don't work. The internet craps out. You know, the lights do whatever. I mean, stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just I, I've got to imagine, um, you know, when St. Benedict or whoever was building a monastery, we all have this image in our head of, oh, he just kind of walked up a hill and, and the angels went, <laughs> and they put up a monastery. And, but no, the part you don't hear is that just after they built the wall, there was a rainstorm and the wall fell over. And, uh, you know, the, they were going to all, you know, they were waiting for supplies to come up the mountain and the mountain road got washed away. And now they're all, I mean, of course, all these things happen. We just don't think in those terms because you just sort of think at the end goal. Right. But all of the nitty gritty of, you know, how are you going to use me to save souls? Well, that involves an awful lot of, quite frankly, pain in the tuchus. <laughs> it just does. Uh, but it's that nitty gritty of it, of the doing it, going through all that, even if you're irritated by it, all of this stuff is how you demonstrate your love. Mm-hmm. And you, 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 and your love is your will. It's committed to something and it's committed to saving souls. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's what some people will go be martyred for if they need to in the past and probably in the future. Uh, that's what other people uh, will endure, you know, parents will endure practically anything uh, for the sake of their children's salvation, no matter how much pain, emotional distress, whatever they have to go through. And I can speak specifically of my own parents. All they want is for their children to be saved. That's it. And if you run an apostolate, if you're out preaching, if you're evangelizing, if you're just sitting around shooting the breeze with friends, whatever it is, your primary thought has to be, I want that person in heaven, even if they don't want to be. I want that person in heaven. Well, if you if you really believe that that's the greatest gift they have, right? The beatific vision, right, is to be one with our with our our God. I mean, absolutely. 
I mean, you would just think that why would you focus on anything else? And I think we get caught up in the world, definitely. But what do you say? Um, and and I know this is this is one of the things that that Michael Voris and Church Militant get accused of, right? Is you, that you guys are divisive, that you guys um, guilty as charged. Yeah, and, and and it's so it's funny because I don't know how many people actually read scripture, but um, uh, when you think about you know I didn't come to bring peace but the sword, right? And that if unless you come to me hating your father and your mother and your you know all of that, that 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 we don't if we put. So I'm thinking to myself. Right. Because, again, we can all I've been one of those guys. I've 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 been I've watched Church Militant. I've watched Michael Voice. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> Michael went at it a different way than I probably would have. Um, <laughs> but I never argue the message. And, and then right. and I said, OK, and then the fervor and the zeal, because, again, I get, I get accused at a much smaller scale, obviously, uh, <laughs> on, a, on a day of my own. Like, OK, that was probably over the top. I just did a retreat this week for, you know, a bunch of sponsors and confirmandi. Right. Uh, maybe you're just over the top. I'm like, well, here's the thing is I, I'm not here to spare feelings. I'm here to save souls. So right. my thing is there's like three responses that you can have. You can experience convert like, wow, you really you hit me. And I, 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 I experienced this, this level of, of, of guilt and conversion, and you're going to go do something about it. And then here goes that here goes that path of just trying to chip away at the vice and work on the virtue. Great. And holiness. The other piece is I'm going to piss you off. OK, good. Yeah. You're at least paying attention. Right. At least you at least have you 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 have an opinion about it. Maybe I'm going to I'm going to rip the scab off and expose the wound. Good. But the other part is just the indifference, right? The, yeah, eh, don't, yeah, don't really care. That's actually the most evil of the responses. But somehow people, um, when I look at church militant, when you guys are doing, again, I can get that response too. Because I'm like, man, these guys are, you know, they'll go after it. And actually, I, I actually think you guys, you're actually, uh, as, as I progress over my experience with church militant, I'm like, no, actually, they're, M Michael isn't as what people are saying he is. He's speaking truth, but he's actually spoken it harder before. Right. Like I almost <laughs> are you uh, saying you're getting more tame? I'm not saying you're getting more tame. I am saying I'm like, or maybe I'm just receiving it differently, too. Right. Maybe that's my own progression, too. It's like okay. maybe I'm receiving it uh, a little bit lighter than what he intended. But there. So for those that say you're d d divisive, I mean, I guess you said you answered it right. Guilty as charged. But what yeah. is if you're just about saving souls and you're I don't want I don't want watered down stuff. I mean, I want a sugar coat. If I'm saying I'm all in, give it to me. Yeah, don't don't. All Give me what, you, what you, I'll go back to one of my football analogies. Mm -hmm. Only one team at the end of the season is going to be the national champion. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and if there's maybe only, I don't know what, 20, perhaps at the beginning of every college football season that have any sort of realistic shot at it, mm -hmm. just, you know, talent level schedule, whatever, uh, and then things happen along the way. And by the time you get to this point of the season, here we are, we're approaching the end. There's only, you know, two, three teams left that are undefeated that are actually going to get into that championship playoff. Okay. You have better been the most intense at every practice, uh, in every game, you better brought your a game, every game, uh, you better be playing against perfection. Uh, not just studying who your opponent opponent is, but but studying perfection. Mm -hmm. How do I do this perfectly? Like Lou Holtz, Notre Dame's last national championship coach. God love him. I love that guy. <laughs> uh, reminded me a lot of my dad, actually. Um, he uh, was very, very, I coach against perfection. When we go out to practice every day, 
I'm not practicing against who we're playing. I'm practicing against perfection mm -hmm. because if you can, if you match perfection, no one else will beat you. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's actually pretty smart. And there's a scriptural basis for that. Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Yeah, so if you are striving for perfection, probably not going to reach it, but if you might, but uh, if you are striving for perfection, spiritual perfection, holiness, perfect holiness, um, uh, if that is your goal, God will give you that goal. Uh, you know, where your treasure is, you know, there is your heart also. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's it. And I just, I don't, I, I, you know, so much of the, there's a million ways to talk about all this stuff, but it's the, it's the easiest concept on earth to grasp. Yeah. And we have it echoed in our, our civil laws, our interactions with each other as just friends or family or whatever. However, we live by all of these rules every day. Yep. But when it comes to applying the idea, the concept of right or wrong to God and my moral choice or immoral choice I just made and the eternal consequences of all of that, well, all of a sudden all bets are off. Oh, well, that's not true. Yeah. But, you know, if somebody steals from you or takes your wallet or burns down your house, well, you're all about justice. <laughs> but when you do that to God, all of a sudden God doesn't care. I mean, that's stupid right. and it's hypocritical and it's not well thought out. And minds have been conditioned through horrible education, just in general education, uh, bad catechesis, the whole bit and everything else that God doesn't seem to care about sin. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're just okay. You know, yes, uh, God's love for you is absolutely unconditional. He, he loves you regardless, mm -hmm. but salvation does have conditions, has to. Mm -hmm. Well, it's silly, I guess, to even your point, even projecting it on God, but when it comes to matters of the faith, right? So we, in our life, when we talk about strive for perfection, we're saying, no, when, when people push you to be the best athlete, to be the best student, man, we're just great job, right? We love that because that guy pushed me. But when it comes to the faith, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you're being too pushy now. You know, you're yeah. and it's like, wait a minute. If how much more important is the salvation of your soul? And sure. I think maybe what people and I think my goal of this interview was to give people a a peek into Michael Voris, the man, understand what um, where you come from, the journey you've been on and then approach church militant. And, and all the work you're doing with St. Michael's Media, and then ask yourself, okay, if I put it into that context, right, so, and I'm, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, that in my own journey, my own personal journey, without a doubt, outside of the prayers of my, my mom and the sacrifices and prayers of my beloved wife, right, it is Jesus Christ, our God, and our Catholic faith that sustains me, that has healed me, that provides me everything I need supernaturally to live in this crazy world, right? I'm, I'm okay with, if Jesus comes by this week, by the way. So that yeah, would be the great after the Notre Dame Southern Cal. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we can we can push it out that way. We can get another maybe one more shot at confession. We get the win, <laughs> right? And then and then, then and, we're all good. Then we're good, right? <laughs> then we don't got to worry about this whole mess, and we can just go be with our God. But 
but yeah. but I think that's the part where um, I would encourage my listeners, my viewers, and and those who have an opinion about Michael Voris and any one of us, myself included, because guaranteed, once I put out this interview, Michael, they're all gonna know what's this John Sablon guy doing with Michael Voris? What's he doing? This is awful. Yeah, exactly. This is terrible. Now he's one of them, right? Um, <laughs> and and instead of you know, it's funny how we use the 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 terms dialogue and accompaniment and all this other stuff that, yeah. but but except when it's somebody that you completely disagree with, right? I'm like, no, sit down, have a conversation with somebody who's open to it, as you pointed out, right? Who's open to the truth, who has intellectual honesty and humility, as well as spiritual humility to be able to say, you know what? I want to see it from this this person's perspective. And for somebody it's who what, it's what the angels over Bethlehem said, saying uh, peace on earth to men of good will, good will, men who do not have good will can never have peace. Right. And then and so then, they're never willing to uh, they're never willing to look at the possibility of embracing truth. Mm-hmm. And there is no peace without truth. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, the. We refer to our Lord as the Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. He calls himself Truth, which he's correct, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two have a have a, are uh, entwined, and they can't be separated. So you can never have truth without peace, or never have peace without truth. And if you don't have good will, meaning you have simply embraced sin and you love it. There's nothing inherent in you. Now, something could come from outside and smash that open on you. And we pray God that it does. Mm-hmm. But within yourself, there is no ability to ever find peace because you don't have good will. Mm-hmm. You have evil will. You, you like trafficking children in human sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, fill in the blank. You're a mafia hitman. You, you cheat on your spouse. You're a negligent parent, whatever. There's nothing in you from which the conversion can arise because you think what you're doing, I don't mean you're fooling yourself. I mean, you honestly believe this is good. You know, Hugh Hefner running Playboy. I mean, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, But, you know, that man caused hundreds of millions of occasions of sin for millions and probably hundreds of millions over those decades of sin. And from everything he ever said publicly, which is all we can go on, he thought everything he was doing was a good thing. Mm -hmm. So where does the change originate? I mean, if you want to transfer over to the kind of classical thing of Hitler, you know, Hitler believed killing Jews and throwing them in ovens was gassing them and throwing their bodies in ovens was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And if he were still alive today and still able to do all of this, would anything have happened internally to him? to make him change that view. No, there isn't the slightest shred of evidence to suggest that there was anything within him. He had no goodwill, he had evil will. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing there to change. Now, can something from the outside come crashing into his world, break it open and he see the light of God or something? Well, of course, that's always possible. Mm-hmm. But it, it not internally to them, it's not. To people who will listen, who have goodwill, who might respond to the truth if it's presented to them like philip when the like the ethiopian eunuch when uh, uh, deacon philip encountered him on the road he, he was willing to hear the truth he just said i i need somebody to explain to me what the scriptures mean mm-hmm. okay there's a man of goodwill king herod not a man of goodwill mm-hmm. so 
there is a difference. There is a difference. And you can't play to them crowd. They're not touchable by human effort. Mm -hmm. That crowd over there, the not goodwill crowd is not touchable by human natural effort. You can't reason with them. You can't sit down with the guy who wants to kill you and have a dialogue that, you know, you compromise that he's going to chop your legs off. He wants you dead. So that sort of evangelization on a natural level simply can't work. You don't have the right ground to put the seed in. You're throwing it on cement. It's never going to root because it doesn't have the ability to. Yeah. But over here, absolutely, these people are are able to be introduced to the glory of the faith on a natural level because their goodwill, their ground is able to receive that seed. And then you let the supernatural work take over from that point on. Yeah, and it's, it's that's it. It's interesting. You brought, you know, the point of separating, you can't have, you know, peace and goodwill. I think the other things that I know you, uh, I would think you would agree on is separating truth from love, right. right? And separating mercy from justice. Uh, there is a big, big push from certain people to say, well, that's your truth. My truth. And you know, I know we can go on and on. Right. But yeah. again, the separating of, so in other words, true charity, not only does it, is it measured by sacrifice, but it's also measured in giving somebody the truth. Right? Absolutely. It, absolutely. Right. And the same thing with real mercy, right. Is intrinsically tied to justice. Right. And all those things. So you see people trying to sever down the right. So, okay. Peace without goodwill. Okay. Truth without love, mercy without justice. And it's like, you guys, we're, we're going about this the wrong way. And if yeah. I, if I want somebody, um, if I'm thinking to myself that I want them to get to heaven, I'm going to do everything, especially I, I start with my wife and my kids. Right. I will do everything everything I can possibly do, die a million deaths so that they can get there. And exactly. I think, yeah, you know, the more that we can approach our faith in that sense of saying, really, if it really is the treasure and if it's the pearl of great price, what are you willing to do for it? Yeah. If, other, otherwise, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of garbage. You know, you just it's yeah, a yeah. bunch of lip service, you know. Yeah, so, it is. I mean, you consider, you know, look, atheists, I was talking to a friend yesterday here in the office. Atheists can sit around and be you know, uh, in, inspired, maybe that's not the right word, but can uh, you know, intellectually appreciate almost all of the scriptures. An atheist could. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that he's moved in his being to accept the truth of scriptures, but he can look at certain principles and certain, I mean, I, I would imagine most atheists uh, uh, or those just indifferent to religion would accept the, you know, biblical concept of you know, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, don't do something to somebody else that you wouldn't want done to you. I mean, those are biblical concepts. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to be, you know, a mass going seven days a week, traditional Latin mass, ad orientum going Catholic to understand and appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So there are certain natural truths that are intimately tied to the supernatural basis for them uh, that anybody can accept. And they do in most circumstances uh, until they don't want to. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a problem. So yeah, you, it, th this is all about, it's all about the truth. Look, my mom, I, I will always revert back to my mom and my dad. Cause after my mom died about a year or so after that, my dad came to live with me in my house and was in perfect health until he had a heart attack a few months before he died. He got pneumonia and then died this past January. God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. Miss him like my both arms. Um, really very, very tough cross for me, him dying, because he and I got to be 
really good friends in the 11 years he lived with me. Mm-hmm. I, I had to vacate my, I've I got a nice room <laughs> and a nice master bedroom suite in my house. And I had to go down the hall to the guest room, which I was fine with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I fixed it all up for him. It was a nice apartment. We used to sit and watch all the Notre Dame games together. We had a great, whatever we didn't have when I was a kid, we had by the time my dad died. He, it, we, it was tremendous relationship. And I got the honor and aggravation uh, of, you know, taking care of him there those last few months and making sure, you know, and, you know, I just all the stuff that goes with an elderly and dying parent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's tough. And, you know, you got to kind of stuff your own feelings as the child taking care of elderly mom or dad. Mm-hmm. You got to sort of stuff your own feelings, at least around them. Uh, and, you know, however you want to go deal with those, you deal with those, but you deal with those away from them. Mm-hmm. They're the, they're the object of, love. They're not the ones that would give you compassion. It's your turn to be the compassionate one. Uh, you'll have plenty of time to get compassion after they die. Trust me, it's awful. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, but yeah, my, it it was a, it was a tremendous, you know, God gave me, if I, God willing, if I continue on this path and I make it to heaven, God gave me the perfect parents to get me to heaven, Mm -hmm. regardless of all the garbage that went on before I had the perfect parents to get me to heaven. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I want to thank you personally for, uh, your time today, especially on this, as we're recording this on Thanksgiving week, I know you just got back from Baltimore and all that excitement. Uh, and, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Well, I know you probably use different words for that, but, um, and that would take a whole nother show and a whole nother set of, uh, of, uh, uh, stuff we've got to go through. But, um, and just for, you know, the work, I am grateful for people that care, that care enough, um, about our Lord, about our church. Um, and if we split hairs over, you know, uh, approach and, uh, method, um, I, I think we're missing the point in, in, yeah. in some of these things. And I, you know, obviously with the, 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 fo- the following, the fact that you guys have been a successful postulate, um, you are leading souls to Christ. And I great, I am grateful for that as well as, as being hey, part me of too. Yeah, Amen. the mystical body of, of Christ, you know, being a third order Dominican myself, like professed with my wife, you know, it, it's about the, the, the souls. Look, you, yeah. you rock. Hey, Hey, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, uh, we're very blessed. We were, we were, um, we'll have to share that sometime as well, but it's, uh, we're very, you know, just knowing as a Dominican, it's like, it's about, it's about Veritas. It's about truth. It's about having as many souls attached to you as possible as you enter into God willing, right? The gates of heaven. So, um, despite what people may think out there, spend some time getting to know Michael Voris and his crew and, and, and those of St. Michael media and church militant before we cast stones, um, ask at what's the core of this stuff, you know, because I think, I appreciate your vulnerability and your openness and, and opening up your own heart, your own past, your own wounds, um, because that uh, that takes a, that takes a special person that takes somebody who's now we're, you know, we're on the Internet. So it's going to be all over the place. Right. Soon enough. Um, yeah. But but that shows the focus is on God and on souls. And so I just want to thank you for your time today, brother, um, for all that you guys are trying to do out there. And uh, for all my listeners and viewers, please check out uh, Michael and all they're doing at churchmilitant.com. Correct, Michael? That's correct. Yep. Churchmilitant.com. And before you form an opinion or believe somebody else's opinion about it, figure it out for yourself. Find the truth. Be intellectually honest and humble um, and, and spend some time. You know, we talk about dialogue and dialogue with people. 
talk about what's at the core of this stuff instead of uh, just letting, you know, focusing on our feelings and our emotions about how the message is delivered. So I want to just, uh, uh, this, this probably will be, uh, you know, aired in, in the next couple of weeks, Michael. So by then you'll either be upset about the Notre Dame loss or win or, or loss and then, or excited about the Notre Dame win. Um, I'll be excited about the win. There you go. There you go. They're going <laughs> confident, my man. Um, and I, and I hope they do win as well. Um, and, uh, I just want to wish uh, you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving and, uh, God bless Same you. To you and your wife and your family. God yeah, bless. That's a great job. Yeah. God, God bless you and all that work you're doing and, uh, look forward to, uh, chatting at some point in time. Sounds good. God bless. Bye-bye. Yes. True faith, real talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Continue the conversation online. Visit johnsublon.com. Until next time, get holy or die trying. Godspeed. Godspeed.